And if you can please stand for the reading of the scripture. And our reading comes from John chapter 3, verses 1 through 16. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as, Ma and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please lift your hands with me as we pray. Father, as we lift our hands, we put them in a receiving posture. Because we recognize that just as truth has descended from heaven... So we need the truth to incarnate among us again today by the power of your spirit. We are dependent people. We don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. So as the word comes this morning, even use such a weak vessel as I to do your work in the world. Because your word does not return void. When it is, when it is accompanied in your spirit, it brings about new life. It brings about transformation. Heal us of our cynicism and our hopelessness. That we say, well, nothing's going to change. That's just the way it is. Father, heal us of that spirit, we pray. Create in us an expectant heart that is expecting the work of your spirit, even this day, even this hour, we pray in your name. Amen. You may be seated. When I was growing up, my dad and I used to build and repair computers together, okay? Now you say, Pastor, you were a nerd. And I reply to you, no, I am a nerd. You, you, you don't get it. It's all right. It's all right to be a nerd. Somebody say amen. One of my favorite, it was one of my favorite memories of childhood because it's how my father and I often enjoyed spending time together the most. And so when people were having trouble with their computers, as they often did, they would send them over to us because most people were completely ignorant as to how to make this box of metal and plastic and glass actually work. So they would try to reboot the thing or hit the thing or curse the thing, but somehow when they rebooted it, the same problems met them right there in the beginning. 
right when they rebooted it. You know, the eternal spinning wheel of loading or the pixelated screen of malfunction or the bright red error message that would say file not found or program corrupted or the blue screen of death when you would finally say that the computer crashed. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And so they would send the computer over to us. And so we would examine the components of the computer to see if they were functioning correctly. Oftentimes they were, sometimes they were, sometimes they weren't. You know, we would look at the motherboard and the hard drive and the video card and the power supply. But what often the computer needed to function again was the wiping of the hard drive and the loading of a completely new operating system. You see what I'm saying? And so in the olden days, we would get this, uh, you would get this huge uh, folder of disks that had the operating system on it. You remember what I'm saying? And so you'd put it in the compact disk drive and you'd load in disk after disk after disk. And when finally all the data had downloaded, the computer would need to be to do an utter restart and a reboot to have a new beginning a new birth as a new computer, so that the computer could remember and function as a computer again. And I like this experience of giving the computer this new life and returning it to the owner, reborn, as it were. There are a lot of people looking for a reboot in life, a new start, a new beginning. There's a restlessness to life today because people understand that it's just not working, that the components of our lives aren't working together. And so we're seeing all kinds of error messages pop up. And so we're looking for the next new beginning in our life that's going to finally fix us. A new diet, a new gym, a new program, a new degree, a new spouse, a new car, a new spiritual philosophy, a new house, a new president, a new CEO. New motherboard here, new some more RAM here, new hard drive there, you see what I'm saying? And so often, when folks don't see it's quite working right, they just try to restart and they find the same old problems, meaning they're right there after the reboot. The scripture says about us as women and men that we are made up of a lot of different components in life. Body, spirit, will, mind. But what the Bible communicates is that all of this can be summed up in the word heart. The heart is our grand operating system. That's where the grand operating system lives, is in the heart, and it makes all the components of our life either work together or not work at all, becoming more or less of the humans that we were made to be in God's image. And what the scriptures communicate is that when our hearts are born into this broken, natural, fallen world in the flesh, we don't just need a new component here or there to make them function together again. We need a full reboot <laughs> a new operating system, a new birth. We need to be born again. That's what our text is about today, the doctrine of regeneration. Somebody say regeneration. Regeneration basically means a new beginning, a new genesis. We're in the, the midst of a series called Saved, where we're exploring what do we mean when we say God saves us? If we zoom in there, what, do, what does it mean when we say we are saved in and by and through Jesus Christ? What are the different angles through which we can look at that? This amazing reality of salvation. And last week, Pastor Russ talked about effectual calling. Remember when God, the voice of God comes to a dead person and brings them to life. And we said he did it right. What we're looking at this week is that we don't just need resuscitation as individuals. We need a renewal. We need a rebirth. We need a new heart and a new spirit in order to see the kingdom of God. We need the reboot. So that's what we're going to talk about today, the reboot. 
We're going to go in the segment of uh, Jesus' dialogue with Nicodemus, which is basically split up into three parts. And I want to talk about the necessity of the reboot, the nature of the reboot, and the nexus of the reboot. I spent a long time looking for that third word, okay? And I, I could not find the word I was looking for. And then I woke up yesterday, and it was in my mind, nexus. I'm going to define that for some of you, because some of you don't know what it means. I didn't until yesterday. Amen. All right. So the first thing we're looking at is the necessity of the reboot. Our scene opens with Nicodemus at night. Or as a child of the, the 90s, I like to say, Nick at night. <laughs> Nicodemus, Nick at night, man, it was great. Oof. Nicodemus is a striking character, okay? He appears to be a very important man, perhaps the leading theologian in the nation of Israel in that time, or at least a leading one. Jesus calls him the teacher of Israel. He knew the Torah, the prophets, the wisdom writings. He knew the scriptures of what we now call the Old Testament back and forth, or so he thought. He was an expert, or so he thought. He was an authority, or so he thought. And it's displayed elsewhere here and in the Gospel of John that not only did Nicodemus have theological importance and influence in that day, he also had political, he's called a ruler here, he had political influence, he had economic power and influence as well. Nicodemus is part of the very establishment, the very power structure that Jesus of Nazareth has come disrupting. Nicodemus is uncomfortable. So he comes to seek out Jesus at night. And some people have read within that a kind of fear or an underhandedness on the part of Nicodemus, but we don't know. And perhaps I think it's more likely that Nicodemus is seeking to have just a conversation in private with Jesus. Not a public debate, because with with, he's such a person of great importance. But darkness and light come up a lot in the Gospel of John, okay? Because in the Gospel of John, Jesus is the light that has come into the world. And so, Leslie Newbigin said, Nicodemus is a man who's drawn to the light, but he's not yet able to leave the darkness. Maybe you're in that boat. Maybe something about Jesus is compelling to you. Maybe you get a sense of the light of who Jesus is, but the full view of him hasn't come into form yet. Maybe you know a Nicodemus or two who are curiously and longingly sitting right on the edge of the kingdom of God. Wondering, drawn to the light, but not yet able to leave the darkness. Nicodemus, he's taken aback by Jesus. He's amazed by him, it seems, because Nicodemus is an authority on the things of God. And yet this marvelous thing of God is happening right before his eyes, and he doesn't know how to categorize it. He's, he's probably seen Jesus' miracles. He probably thinks he's a prophet, but he doesn't apprehend who Jesus actually is. And so he comes ready for a serious theological discussion with Jesus. But as usual, he ain't quite ready for what he's going to get. <laughs> Jesus keeps people on their toes. And so he says, Rabbi, which is a very respectful, scholarly term. We know you're a teacher come from God because surely you couldn't do all this that you are doing unless God is with you. But Jesus abruptly moves to a striking statement. He doesn't make small talk. He says, Amen, amen. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Born again or born from above is how you can translate that word. Both work. Both of those definitions work and are important to understanding the word. But what Jesus tells Nicodemus is that what women in need meant, 
women and men need in order to come into the kingdom of God is, is not just illumination or theological information. They need a new way of being, a new way of being. They don't just need a theological formula. They don't just need to pray a prayer. They need the work of the Spirit. I've now witnessed three childbirths, okay? We did it the natural birth way with the midwife and the doula and the water, and I was the birth partner, okay? I even caught one of the babies. I'm not going to go into too much detail for you because some of you are squeamish. I've seen too much to be squeamish. But what I'm trying to get across is that my boys, Oscar, Thelonious, and Winton, do you know how much work they had to do in order to be birthed into the world, to be created, to be sustained by the placenta, and finally come out of the womb? Nothing. You know who did all the work? It was their mama. And phew, I've seen her do some work. She probably worked harder in those three days than those boys will ever do in their whole life. <laughs> And that's the graphic imagery that Jesus is using when he says you must be born again, born from above, from the womb of God, as it were, to come alive and breathing and kicking and screaming into this new world called the kingdom of God. And so we see here the necessity of the reboot, because what Jesus is communicating to us is that the human heart in its natural condition doesn't work as it ought to work. It's sick, it's diseased with sin, like a computer marred and infected with a virus so that its operating system no longer functions. So it is with the human heart and its natural condition. Right before this passage, at the end of John chapter 2, we were told that Jesus, on his part, didn't entrust himself to people because he knew all people. For he knew himself what was in the hearts of women and men. Jesus knows that the human heart, when it receives the command to love God and worship him, comes back with a bright red error notification that says, file not found. Jesus knows that when the command comes to love our neighbor as ourselves, the bright red error message comes again that says, program corrupted. Jesus knows when the law comes that says, trust the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, don't fear, don't doubt, don't scheme, that we come back with an eternal spinning wheel. Jesus knows that humanity and our natural condition are slaves of our bent desires, our disordered loves, and ultimately, the scripture says, in our flesh, we are slaves to death itself. Because many things can be changed by education and by legislation and by relational exposure, by moral or religious instruction, but what cannot be changed apart from the work of God is the heart condition towards our maker and towards our neighbor. Now, I'm not discounting the work of laws and morals and instructions, certainly not, but I'm acknowledging their limits. As Dr. King once said, the law cannot make a man love me, but it can keep him from lynching me. So if we reverse that, the law can keep a man from lynching me, but it cannot make a man love me. See the emphasis that I'm bringing out that law and justice and instruction and all of it is very important, but it has limits. This week, I was listening to an interview with Isabel Wilkerson. If you don't know who she is, she's the author of this amazing book called The Warmth of Other Sons, which is about the mass migration of African, 6 million African Americans in the South to the West Coast, to the Midwest, to the Northeast in the 20th century. And she was talking on this podcast called On Being with Krista Tippett, which is awesome. And she talks about, you know, when it comes to race in America, some laws were passed at eight, in 1860. They did some things, but we had to come back in 1960 and revisit them with more laws. And we still need more laws, but what she says is, as much as the legal protection and economics uh, protections 
can, can be passed. She said, what the law can't do is create human love and empathy. She said, we're in need today when it comes to race in America of a heart change. Because she says, the heart is the last frontier. The heart is the last frontier. Because love and empathy and the warmth of the heart is different from just following the rules. See, because the story that the Bible tells is also the history of a people who were continually in need of a deeper change, of an inward renewal. The Old Testament uses the term the circumcision of the heart because the heart is the last frontier. Even the law of God that was given, as good and right and holy as it is, cannot change a heart that is of the flesh and marred by sin. In fact, the scripture teaches that the law actually shows the fleshly heart all the sin that it is capable of and that it is guilty of. And we have to hold to this truth as Christians, not to say that each person in our world and those who don't believe are the worst possible versions of themselves and are all horrible people. But no, we believe in common grace, right? That God's grace goes out to all his image bearers and that his image bearers at times reflect brilliance and compassion and love and selflessness and creativity. But what we have to hold to is that God looks on a deeper reality, one that we cannot always see, a reality that we are often hiding from out of shame and guilt. Jesus sees that our hearts are spiritually dead and need of rebirth, that apart from the work of the Spirit, our hearts remain in the flesh. And just as we saw last week with the whole idea of he did it, so this whole idea of birth It calls to mind again that we can't birth ourselves, right? Just as in the natural order of things, I can't create myself, right? Just so it is in the spiritual realm. We cannot create ourselves. This birth has to come down from above. But Nicodemus is struggling, all right? He's struggling with Jesus' communication of the necessity of regeneration. And so he asks a question as it were, to move to the second segment of our text. He asks a question about the nature of the reboot. Because Nicodemus is confused, as we all would be too. What does Jesus mean? He says, so, so like, you want me to, like, go back inside my mother and do the whole, like, birth thing again? It's kind of a crass and funny question if you think about it. Maybe, maybe Nicodemus, he's just a little flabbergasted. He's a little frustrated. Like, I came here, Jesus, to have a serious theological debate with you, and you're sitting here talking about this birth stuff. Because Nicodemus, his mind is only set on the natural things and not the supernatural things, as we will see. So Jesus re-answers, he clarifies, and then he intensifies his statement. He says it again, amen, amen, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you don't know where it came from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the spirit. And the water and the spirit here in this passage, of course, hearken the hearer and the reader back to the idea of Ezekiel 36 that we heard today in the liturgy, right? When the prophet Ezekiel foresaw a time that God would sprinkle clean water on the people, give them a new heart and a new spirit that God would put within them. And when God says, I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. See, what humans need is this cosmic inward renewal, this renewal of water and the spirit. And what Ezekiel foresaw, Jesus is saying, I am, I have come. 
And when our, when our human ears today hear spirit and flesh, what we often think of is the distinction between physical and spiritual. But that's not what Jesus is getting at here, necessarily. The word that the New Testament uses when it uses the word flesh is the word sarks. Say sarks. But the word that the New Testament uses for the physical human body is soma, all right? Soma. Flesh here instead means the natural fallen order of things. Our creaturely selves as we exist apart from the power and the presence of God. Flesh represents us left to ourselves as sons and daughters of our first parents, Adam and Eve, and not sons and daughters of the new creation and of the spirit of God. And then Jesus, of course, when I talk about new creation, he compares the work of the spirit to the wind, right? The wind blows where it will. You don't know where it came from or where it's going. He, he does that because in the languages of Hebrew and Greek, the word spirit is the same exact word for breath or wind. So when, if you know the beginning of the Bible, the spirit of God was hovering over a formless and void creation. And then the spirit of God or the wind of God created new creation. And what Jesus is saying here is that the spirit is doing the same thing again. The spirit is creating a new creation out of death out of sin, out of the flesh. That is regeneration. If anyone is in Christ, what? He is a new creation. You can't see it. You don't know where it came from or where it's going, but you feel the reality of it. It is sovereign and powerful. And so we, what we see here in the nature of regeneration is that is the work of God in the heart. The Spirit is the one who gives new life. At times, that wind blows suddenly, and the course of a life is changed 360 degrees in a split second. To be honest with you, my life kind of changed like that. I was sailing on a course of life and truly stumbling in dark and destructive ways when the wind of the Spirit hit me in one weekend, in my brother's wedding weekend. <laughs> and I walked into my parents' hotel room, I will never forget it, and I said to them, my life has changed and I have to become a pastor. And they looked at me and said, oh, what? I mean, I was kind of being crazy before this point. You have to understand. And so my parents were confused at the, the, the spirit's change in my life. And at times, I, well, sorry. So like two days later, I had to call my college. I changed my major. I changed the entire course of my life because the wind demanded it. I had to change. And I, as I process that with my mom later in life, at times that has made her feel a little hurt because she raised me to be a good Christian boy, right? She raised me to be a person of the faith, and yet I said this sudden change had happened after I left home, right? But we have to remember that the, the wind is sovereign, that the Spirit does the Spirit's work. And I'm not discounting our work of instruction, our work of teaching and forming our children or anyone else or of evangelism, but we are ultimately dependent upon the wind blowing upon somebody. But not everyone has this quick experience of the wind. For some, the wind blows them ever so slowly on a different course that one day they wake up and realize that they are sitting in the kingdom of God. And I think Nicodemus himself is one of those characters because John paints him several other times throughout the Gospel of John. In chapter 7, Nicodemus is one who is defending Jesus 
keeping the Jewish authorities of that day from harming him. And then in, in John chapter 20, it is Nicodemus who actually takes care of Jesus' crucified and dead body and buys him an expensive grave plot, a temporary grave plot. I think what John is trying to say that old Nicodemus is that he came into the light gradually over time. Some people take a while to see the light that's come into the world. And I don't even know, they don't even know the precise moment in which it became clear to them this, that this new birth happened. But the nature of regeneration is a new creation, that the old has gone and the new has come. We are either born of the flesh or born of the spirit. Jesus creates a dichotomy of God, but a, a dichotomy here. But the, a son or daughter of God born in Christ is a new creation. We are at the core in Christ. We are in the spirit and not in the flesh. We have a new operating system at the core of who we are, born of the love of God. But just as you know, just because you've been born new doesn't mean you have been made perfect. This dichotomy of the flesh versus the spirit comes up many more times in the New Testament. And it's at the heart of the battle that is our life. That though our operating system has been rebooted and restored, we still have some malfunctioning components. Our patient's processor doesn't yet have enough capacity and it needs to be upgraded. Our anger regulator still overheats sometimes and we need some kindness and some patience and some love our greed generator uh, is needs to be reprogrammed into a generosity generator you know what I'm saying we still have malfunctioning components that need to work right again we need more faith we need more, more hope and we need more love and what the scriptures reveal is that this battle and this process of our being changed over time this is the work of God's renewal in our life this is the work of sanctification which we will talk about in a few weeks because the desires of the flesh are against the desires of the spirit. That's what the scripture says. And the desire of the spirit is against the desires of the flesh. We all know the works of the flesh that are evident like greed and anger and lust. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. We are looking to bear fruit. Part of Christian maturity is growing into the reality of your salvation. Growing into the reality of your new operating system and learning how all your components can work right again. But old Nicodemus is still stumbling in the dark at this point. He's dumbfounded, utterly dumbfounded, and he speaks a third and final time before he fades back into the darkness from whence he came. And after an exploration of the necessity and the nature of the reboot, we finally see the nexus of the reboot, okay? Nexus means the central connecting point, the central or focus point in a group of ideas. That is what Jesus is taking Nicodemus to. Because Nicodemus is confused, and so Jesus is saying, let me zoom in here on the center of it. Nicodemus says, how can these things be? And Jesus answers with frankness, you are the teacher of Israel and you don't get it. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we've seen, but you don't receive our testimony. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how are you going to believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one's ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. The we here in our text represents Jesus and his followers, starting with John the Baptist, who have started to witness this new work of God, right? 
And what he's saying is that, Nicodemus, you and your folks, if you can't even see what God is doing right before your eyes, and John the Baptist, and the, work of, the new works of the kingdom, and my miracles, and who I am, how are you going to believe if I tell you the heavenly things of new birth, the signs and the wonders of the kingdom? And then Jesus underscores what he's been saying this whole time, that true knowledge has to come down from above, not from below. No one can speak to the reality of heaven except the one who has come down from heaven. No, no one can share true theology and true truth except the Son who descends down. And so just like we need the new birth from above, so we need the knowledge of God to come down to us in the person of the Son of Man. It is not uh, the ascent or the lifting up of human theology or human intellect or human will. It is the descent of the Son of God. But there is a lifting up, we see. There is a lifting up. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus is doing a little Bible storytelling here. I don't know if you remember the story that Jesus is referencing. It comes from the Old Testament, from the, the people of Israel in Numbers chapter 21, who had again rebelled against God. And so God had sent a plague of poisonous snakes that were biting the people. Do you remember this? And so they were all dying and being bitten by the snakes. And, and God tells Moses, what you need to do, Moses, is out of bronze, fashion a bronze serpent, fasten it to a pole, and lift it up and tell the people to look at the snake, and then the snake will stop killing them. The people had to look at the very thing that was causing them death in order that they might find the life that God was offering for them again. So Jesus, after he descended all the way from the glorious heights of heaven to the deadly and dark depths of human sin and misery in the flesh, when he gave himself, when God gave himself up, when God gave his only son up, when Jesus was lifted up on the tree, lifted up on the cross, the scripture says that he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When we look up from the foot of the cross, we see the very thing that is killing us. The, the, the flesh of human nature, the curse of sin and death in Jesus' flesh, but we also see in his very body and with his very blood the, the one who gives us new life. It is in this lifting up by which our Lord descended to the dead that caused him to be able to be brought again and lifted up to life in the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the lifting up that Jesus is calling Nicodemus' mind to. It's the heart of it. And the heart behind salvation itself is then recorded either from Jesus or John, whoever is speaking in verse 16. Maybe you've heard John chapter 3, verse 16. For God the Father so loved the world, so loved the world, that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish and have eternal life. At the heart of reality... For Nicodemus and for us is the heart of the love of God, the self-giving love of God by the Spirit. And so what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus and saying to us is that when you start to contemplate theology or your place with God or your relationship with God or how God could save you, don't start with regeneration, start with the regenerator. 
Don't start with theology, human words about God. Start with the word that has come down from heaven from God. Start with the Son of God, Nicodemus. Start there, right there at the foot of the cross. So if you find yourself in this life muddled and confused theologically, if you find yourself morbidly introspective, if you find yourself sinking in doubt and shame, the place to go is not contemplating, again, the things that you keep thinking about, is to go to the foot of the cross and to the empty tomb, to see the one lifted up there in your place, to see the very thing in his flesh that could have been your flesh, that could have been your death, and to see his new life. That's the starting place. That is the word that is given, and the word is given to Nicodemus and to us simply so that you would believe, so that you would see the nexus, the connection, the central point of it all, of salvation, which is the Son of God, lifted up on the cross and resurrected in glory. That is the foundation of the reboot, of the regeneration, of the renewal of all life and all creation itself. Amen. Father, we give you thanks for this word that you've given to us today. We know that your spirit is like the wind and it blows where it will. And so we ask you, blow the embers of our heart. Warm our hearts to you. Warm our intellects to you. Renew us in your image. Help us to walk in the power of the spirit and not the flesh, we pray. We give this all to you. Amen.